0: Good morning, Chris. Good morning, David. Welcome. Good morning. We're going to dive right into what has been a hot topic of conversation this morning, continuing new rules and restrictions and suggestions that uh, some of these restrictions are not being evenly applied around the state. People complaining about new mask mandates to the point where you're going to have to just keep your mask by your plate when you're eating out. and When the server approaches, you got to get it back on real quick. Lots of folks are getting frustrated here, but of course, uh, we still have numbers climbing all around the state. So... David, catch us up on all this because people are still wondering, how does the governor have the authority to do all this?
1: Well, that's that remains a question. And obviously the governor's authority to take certain measures is being challenged in the courts and those challenges will probably continue. It's also developing into a serious political problem uh, for the governor after uh, he has an, an uh, acknowledged that uh, his willingness to be flexible in the Metro East region, downstate, uh, the area just across from St. Louis, uh, has backfired. That that positivity rate is climbing very sharply there. And he admitted yesterday that he made an error in, in giving them in easing some of the restrictions. At the same time, uh, yesterday he's he's announced new he's announced new restrictions on Will and Kankakee counties in the Chicago Metro region. Uh, and people up there are are kind of crying foul saying well this is uneven you're you're giving these restrictions to us according to your original plan and you're making exceptions down in the southwestern part of the
0: state and they're not wrong. I mean, it is it is a, a pretty striking. Uh, and, it, you know, again, I think what r- frustrates a lot of people is, is that all this power seems to be in one person's hands to say, OK, we'll go a little bit easier on you. And, OK, we're going to stick to the uh, initial letter of the plan uh, with you over here. Uh, and it, it does have people wondering, you know, uh, are, is this being done based on political favoritism? Is the governor currying favor with lawmakers in one part of the state but doesn't really care what? lawmakers think in a different part of the state
1: well there's an argument going around that that the votes down state is where he really needs help on his graduated tax proposal what he calls the fair tax which allows him to raise taxes on the top three percent of people in the state uh there's there and while others remain at the same or lower um he is at um that that goes on the ballot on November third, a constitutional amendment, and there's some thinking that this is a factor. We don't know uh, what is a factor. You know what what is a factor and what's not. And he's not saying uh, this does point to the fact that the that the governor has wide latitude to protect the health and safety of people in the state. The courts so far have consistently ruled on that. Uh, but that sort of trust, that sort of sort of social contract, works only so long as he's really disciplined about following the program that he set in place way back in the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And when he begins making judgment calls and, uh, and hedging a little bit, that's when all these political issues come up. And I suspect based on the experience so far this week, I'd be surprised if he makes exceptions again, because he realizes that he gets his wrist slapped or worse uh, on the political stage when he starts exercising discretion like that.
0: You know, it's a great point. I think people generally approved of the governor's performance when it felt like, okay, these were uh, harsh restrictions, but they were being applied evenly across the board. Everybody was being held to it. Uh, But in the last couple of months, we've seen folks sort of flouting the rules, ignoring them, and as you noted then uh, we're we're sort of picking and choosing uh, who gets it a little easier who gets a little bit tougher and that's when people are are going to really uh, lash out against that. I was actually in a convenience store this morning as I'm walking in there's a guy walking out talking on his phone and I could hear him saying yeah well I have to wear a mask now because our idiot governor and the conversation trailed off into words that I can't say on the radio at that point. Uh, people people are getting you know angry now and and they're going to get more angry if they feel like uh, this is not being uh, handled uh, even handedly across the board. So uh, th- there is at least a little bit of good news in this whole issue coming out of a, a state government affiliated institution. And that's the university of Illinois, uh, which has in the last few days gotten approval for something that's being described as a potential game changer in all of this.
1: Right. There's going to be really aggressive testing at the university of Illinois, and it'll be very interesting to see what, uh, what happens. The idea um The university has developed, uh, uh, and and a couple of others, Yale University, I think, has developed a rapid saliva testing protocol uh, that that, uh, allows for very quick uh, results. And um, the plan is to allow thousands of tests to be administered each day and deliver the results within hours. And this, that this latter part is what's really important here is that the, the, there's been a critique lately about testing that takes several days or even a week to get the results. By that time, a person has gone on potentially and infected a whole number of people. And um, if the U of I carries out the testing as it plans to, it will represent about 20 percent of all tests administered in the state. And and get this, 1.5 percent of all tests administered nationwide so this is a really aggressive testing program and we'll see what kind of results it brings uh as the students get back to school and the school gets uh school gets
0: going. And, and David, you nailed it. It's so critically important here because you know we've talked a lot over these last six months about the need for testing, testing, testing. But if you don't get the results back in a timely fashion, the testing really does you no good because people you know can't really afford to, if they don't know if they have it, to shut their lives down on the possibility that they might not have it. Uh, so if people don't know right away that they're positive, there's a much greater risk they're gonna actually head out, go to work, venture out in public, potentially infect other people, that fast turnaround is really important to getting a handle on this. So, uh, you know, we've heard a lot of things described over these last few months as potential game changers. This one might actually fit the bill if it pans out. We got some Well, if, oh, go the, ahead.
1: if it pans out part, Jim, is important because let's not forget these are college students And their compliance, as we've seen across the country, their compliance, uh, it can be less than one might hope. Uh, They go back to school, they're very eager to get back to each other socially. We see these pictures of of a lot of social, you know, masking and other things not happening. So student compliance is going to be the key to this. And how the university accomplishes that, we don't yet know, but that's going to be, the onus is going to be on the young people who are returning to school.
0: One would at least hope that if somebody knows they're positive, they would be at least a, a bit more careful but you're right. It, it as with everything, it comes down to the willingness of the public to actually do the things that would stop the spread of the virus. And while we've seen, I think most people willing to do that at no small personal inconvenience, uh, we've seen enough people not willing to do that that we continue to have a pandemic pretty well raging around the state. And around the country. We want to get into some ethics issues. We'll do that coming up next year. And David, I think it's safe to say that had we not had the pandemic this year, the biggest issue in Illinois, uh, in all of 2020 would have been ethics, giving, given the, the number of lawmakers who have been arrested, indicted, uh, under investigation, under that cloud of suspicion. But because of the pandemic, the legislature has barely been functioning. Uh, ethics legislation has stalled. Republicans are hopping mad about that, and they were again this week demanding something get done about it. Is there any chance anything's going to get done anytime soon? Well,
1: uh, before the end of the veto session, possibly, but unfortunately, based on how things are going so far, it looks like it'll be a uh, sort of token reform and not the sort of sweeping reform that we had hoped might happen before COVID pandemic swept the, the, the world. Uh, what happened this week is that four Republican lawmakers from across the state Uh, held a a Zoom conference saying, uh, hey, let's get this Joint Commission on Ethics and Lobbying Reform going. Uh, What are we waiting for? Let's not wait till the veto session in November. Uh, The the Democratic leaders of this bipartisan, multilateral commission, including both elected officials and others in the government, uh, are really just taking their time and, and saying, we'll get to it eventually, but there's no big rush right now, and it's highly disappointing, as you point out, Jim, when we think about the opportunity here that has been created by this deplorable run of uh, government of elected officials being uh, accused of corrupt activity, an investigation that clearly seems centered on uh, House Speaker Mike Madigan. That even in the face of all that, uh, the reform effort so far has been so tepid.
0: One of the challenges, of course, is that uh, no matter what you do with the laws, some people are going to be absolutely determined to subvert them. And sometimes, even when they're obeying the law, things seem a little bit shady. The BGA's recently done an investigation looking at how lawmakers are using loopholes in fundraising limits uh, in order to uh, to stuff more money into their political coffers.
1: Right uh, there's there are limits on how much people can contribute individuals and corporations and others can contribute to uh, the campaigns of state officials and um, and what we found in our investigation is that there's this there's this little uh, loophole called the, the millionaires exemption that's once one person contributes more than a hundred thousand dollars to a campaign, basically all the limits are off and the, the politicians can go out and raise more or less as much as they want, and they also then can distribute that money to campaigns across the state. And this is one way that the legislative leaders cement their role. Uh, they collect all this campaign money, and then they dole it out to people around the state who then are beholden to them for uh, votes down the road. And what we found is that uh, looking at 2018 contributions, after putting in—after—after often borrowing money in order to raise, to contribute that initial $100,000. Uh, Mike Madigan, for example, $12 million of the $18 million he raised in in 2018 uh, was from larger contributions that exceeded that $100,000 limit once he had made his own $100,000 contribution. Uh, Jim Durkin, the Republican leader, uh, $6 million out of $9 million of the money he raised came from these uh the millionaires exemption contributions. Bill Brady, about half of the $4 million that he raised came from the millionaires exemption. And Don Harmon, who's a new legislative leader, he jumped right on in. Uh, He's uh, about a a third of the money he raised from 1919 through this year, 1.3 million out of about 3.9 million that he has raised has come through the millionaires exemption contributions. So it's really a way to game the system and it feels that there's a need for some reform of that law if we want those limits to really be effective.
0: Well, that, that's, of course, uh, assuming that anybody wanted the limits to be effective in the first place. It seems like the sort of loophole that was sort of put there by design rather than by accident. But you can go read the full investigation at the Better Government Association website. Uh, and, David, we're getting tied on time here. I don't know that we have time to open up a, a whole new topic. So why don't you just again uh, remind people briefly what the BGA is and how to find you folks the rest of the week?
1: Right, the Better Government Association. We're 97 years old. We do investigative reporting about government uh, f- structural failings in government. We also advocate for open records and re- and uh, accountable government. We fight we fight to keep open records. That's a most important tool, not just for investigative reporters but for the public to hold government accountable. If people want to reach me with ideas or comment, I'm at dgrising at bettergov.org and our website is bettergov.org.
0: And here each week, it's full disclosure on the WMAY morning news feed. David, have a great week. We'll talk to you next Wednesday morning.
1: So long. Thank you.